you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Season with Peter Schrager. We are now entering. Aaron, what is this, week 11 we're entering? We just finished 10, and we're going into week 11. Oh, my God. The season is flying by. Um, On Sunday, there were five games decided in the final seconds by a field goal attempt. And on Monday night, there was another one. I am Peter Schrager. I am your host of this podcast. I picked Sean Payton to be the NFL's coach of the year before this season. I picked the Broncos to make the playoffs. The Broncos were one in five at one point, having lost to the Jets at home. And then very quietly, they beat the Packers. They beat the Chiefs. The trade deadline arrives. They don't trade off Patrick Sertan. They don't trade off Cortland Sutton. They don't trade off Jerry Judy. They don't trade anyone. And they just quietly sit there and say, you know what? We're going to play. And then they beat the Buffalo Bills. The Denver Broncos are four and five, folks. So that's the Broncos. But as we're recording this, we just got news that a former guest of the season with Peter Schreger when things were looking a little better and the sky was the limit. Ken Dorsey um, has been fired by the Buffalo Bills and Aaron Juan Kaufman as my dear friend, my partner in crime on this podcast, as my producer and as a uh, diehard Buffalo Bills fan, I'm going to give you the floor. Ken Dorsey, season on the brink, fired after a week 10 loss on Monday night. Does that change things? What is the status of the Bills fan as we are just getting this information? I think Bills fans are confused and have been confused because they've been calling for Dorsey's head for weeks. I mean, I think there have been a lot of games where it seems like the offense should be doing a lot better. And for all the injuries the defense has suffered, like, the offense should still be doing well. And, I mean, last night I actually thought Latavius Murray was running well. James Cook got benched, but he he came back in with a vengeance and, like, Cook and Kincaid were doing a ton. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if this fixes anything. I don't know what this does to the offense. I don't know what they do. I don't know how they recapture the magic of the day ball offense two years ago. Like, I... Um, I don't know. This is rough. It's a rough last night and then a rough day today. And to think that um, they're going to have to install something new in a week and play the Jets, a really tough defense that they already lost to, is um, horrible. Yeah, it seems raw and it seems fresh. And yet you can't be shocked considering right. the offense is taking such a step back. Uh, they haven't been the same offense since 2021, if we're being honest. Um, you know, Brian Dayball and Josh Allen had that miracle season. Allen was unbelievable. Finished, I believe, second in the MVP. Last year, took a step back, obviously. And I think a lot of us said, well, they were rolling. And then the DeMar Hamlin thing happened and the travel issues happened. And it was just too much to overcome. Well, it never has gotten going this year. So Dorsey, um, is, is, it's his job. He loses his job. And that's a shame. I like Ken. Um, he'll be okay. He'll figure something out. But as of last year, I mean, I'm talking in January, he was interviewing for head coaching jobs. So... That's the NFL, and that's what we do in the season. We try to track you through the lives of these coaches and just how turbulent it really is. In January, he was interviewing to be the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, and we are now in November, and he is fired and out of work. That is a wild ride, and yet it is not uncommon in the world that is the NFL. As we go to the Bills, I will say Vaughn Miller was a $120 million signing. Didn't see much of him last night. Gabe Davis, I've been hearing about as a number one wide receiver. Didn't see much of him last night. Stephon Diggs was not tearing it up last night. And you could blame the coaching, and the coach did just lose his job, and he's got to go back to his wife and kids and say, hey, we're out of work. we got to figure something out. I think everyone now, this is a call to arms, and it's a, hey, 
We're five and five. If the playoffs were today, we are out of this thing. We're not a part of it. And Aaron, I'm not sure if you looked at the schedule. They play the Jets, yes. But then the schedule gets really crazy. They play the Eagles, okay? Then they have a bye. Then they play the Chiefs. And then they play the Cowboys. Your thoughts? It's so, it looks so bleak. Okay, as frustrated as you are and as like, I, ha- I live with a Ravens fan. Mm-hmm. She happens to be my wife. Um, her parents have been season ticket holders of the Baltimore Ravens since they moved back to Baltimore. My father-in-law has never missed a Baltimore Super Bowl going back to 1969 when he went to the Orange Bowl to see the Colts play the Jets in person. I think Ravens fans at 7-3 and three might be even more frustrated than Bills fans at 5-5. Five and five. The Ravens have the craziest season right now where they absolutely trash opponents, they blow them out, and they have three losses, and all three of those losses have been inexplicable fourth-quarter collapses against the Steelers, the Colts, and then this most recent one against the Browns at home where they're up 14 points in the fourth quarter and they somehow give the game away even with the Browns' missed extra point. The stat that we gave on Good Morning Football yesterday that my producer, Rich Goldberg, like came to me in the morning. I was like, you got to go with this. Of the top five teams to have the most time spent with a lead through 10 games in a season, four of those teams were 10-0 and and went to the Super Bowl. The fifth is the 7-3 and Baltimore Ravens, meaning they have led by, they have led every game And they have led the most amount of time in not only this NFL season, but one of the top five seasons of all time. And yet they're not 10 and 0, they're not 9 and 1, they're not 8 and 2, they're 7 and 3. They lose in the end. So, which we had the conversation, and today on Good Morning Football was like, well, the good in that is that like you're in it till the very end and that like you could tighten that up. The bad in that is that, well, why can't you close? Why can't you close? And this goes back. Not only Lamar, but Harbaugh questions. And, you know, I had my friend Jeremy on in the offseason who was a blistering take on the Ravens and how this whole decade since uh, they went to the Super Bowl and beat uh, the 49ers in 2013, this whole decade has just been one missed opportunity after another. And he points to the coach a lot of times and the GM. Well, they're seven and three and they're in first place uh, in a lot of ways in the AFC. Now, of course, the Chiefs and them will figure it out as far as tiebreakers go when it's all said and done. But like the Ravens to not be eight and one or nine and one right now, that's a great disappointment. So it's almost like uh, you have these two teams that everyone was high on. Then you have the Bengals who last week were all crowning. Lou Rumo comes on the podcast. I'm talking about how this guy's going to be the next head coach of the NFL. Well, they're five and four out of the playoff hunt right now, which leads to an AFC team I'd like to talk about, Aaron. The Houston freaking Texans. Five and four. If the playoffs were to start today, the Houston Texans would be in the dance. C.J. Stroud has been amazing. He's got every record you can imagine as far as rookie quarterbacks go throughout their first 10 weeks of an NFL season. He's steady Eddie. He does not waver. And for the second straight week, we had his GM on last week, Nick Casario. Go find the podcast episode. It was exquisite. It was wonderful. Nick was great. Um, He was even better this week. He was even better this week. Last week, he threw 470 and five touchdowns. This one, he threw a bad pick and then bounced back, which I love. Throws the bad pick. Bengals, Cameron Taylor Britt takes it all the way back. They hold him. They get a field goal. It makes it a tie game. And he's got to go 80 yards and somehow, some way win this thing. And guess what? He goes, drives him the whole length of the field. They kick the field goal to win it. And, and they walk off champions of the game after beating a very good red-hot Cincinnati Bengals team in the jungle, which is a really hard place to play. I was posed a question. Do I think they're contenders? I say yes, because they're in the dance right now. But also, it's not just rookie quarterback, first-year coach, rookie wide receiver, and electricity with all this new young energy. The guys on that team, Shaq Griffin has played in a lot of big games. Shaq Mason's played in a lot of big games. Robert Woods has played in a lot of big games. Sheldon Rankins has played in a lot of big games. Jerry Hughes is on that team. Jerry Hughes is on the Colts with like Peyton Manning. Like Jerry Hughes has been in big games. They have veterans all over the lineup. And if you're thinking about an org chart and you're not necessarily thinking about a football team, but you're thinking about a company and they're different departments, you've got HR, you've got accounting, like they they have young superstars that are the equivalent of the Ivy League guys that are coming right out of college with their great MBAs, but they also have guys who have worked with the company and worked at other very successful companies. 
for five years, six years, seven years. I love the fact that Tank Dell and Nico Collins have Robert Woods in that room. I love the fact that C.J. Stroud comes out after practice and he talks to Case Keenum, who played an NFC championship game. Um, love what Houston's doing. And I don't think it's a fluke. Uh, they're outplaying teams and their defense has gone from a historically bad defense from last year to being one of the best in the league this year. Question, Aaron, for, question for you about the Texans. Yeah. Do you think, this is kind of a hot take, do you think they could win out their schedule? Let's versus, hear it. Read it off. This is Cardinals. very Bill Simmons. We're not, we're not, yeah. we're not aping Bill Simmons right here. This is very Cousin Sal and Bill Simmons. Do you want to talk about the All-NBA third point card next? <laughs> right. We can. It's only five weeks It's only five weeks into the NBA season. We can Where do that. Where does CJ Stroud exist on your NBA on my top pyramid. 50? Yeah. No, um, but go. they have Cardinals this week. They have Jags the week after. That's a huge one, huh? Yeah. They already beat the Jags once, right? And then the Broncos, and then at Jets, at Titans, against the Browns. That's the Christmas Eve. That's the big one. And then Titans, and then at Colts. Yeah, of course. They, they can do it. That's, I, I was not expecting, uh, from talking about like the Bills' schedule that looks so bleak and dour, the Texans have a nice end-of-season run coming up, I think. Do you know why I love doing this podcast with you? Bro, you just dropped the word dour <laughs> bleak and dour is that a word or did you mean dire is dour a word let's google that dour bleak a word. i love that let's get dour. the official okay. relentlessly severe stern or gloomy in manner or appearance hell yes bro that's the perfect word all right the bills have a dour schedule the texans what's an antonym to dour type an antonym dour what do we get Take your time. I want to find the most exciting one. We don't want a we don't want a thesaurus. We don't need that. We want an antonym. The Houston None of these Texans are good. gentle, pleasant. The, I like gentle. gentle. The Houston Texans have a gentle schedule coming up. That's fantastic. Uh, I love the NFL. It's wide open. I don't think anyone had the Texans or the Broncos like a couple weeks ago, and here we are. And another team that I don't think anyone was like legitimately considering as like a team. The Indianapolis Colts are very quietly five and five. They beat a terrible Patriots team in Germany and they're right there. I had a rare Sunday off, Aaron. Fox sent uh, the Fox NFL Sunday show, the big dogs, Kurt and Gronk and Strahan and Howie Long and Jimmy Johnson and Glazer. They sent them to the Air Force Academy as an annual tradition. They go to a different veteran um, spot, whether it be West Point or the Naval Academy or a, a military base overseas. This year, they went to the Air Force Academy. Gronk jumped out of a plane and was live for the jumping. It was actually great television. It was fantastic. But I got a chance to sit on my ass and watch TV like most Americans do. And I got to tell you, you guys got it pretty good. <laughs> that one o'clock window was unbelievable. All those games coming down to the wire at the end, Browns, Ravens, Bengals. And then I'm like, all right, so what do people do after that one o'clock window ends? They probably use the the four o'clock window. And then the Lions Charger starts and you're like, all right, we're another shootout and Seahawks commanders. And then right into the Sunday night game, the NFL is in a great place. Uh, and I'm looking at the primetime games that are coming up this week. Could you bring those up real quick on the schedule? Because I think a month ago I would have circled this week and been like, ah, it's forgettable. But Thursday night we have Bengals at Ravens, both teams on the brink right now coming off bad losses. What's the what's the Sunday night game? I think it's Vikings versus Broncos, which suddenly becomes an awesome game. And then Monday night is Eagles Chiefs. Hello? Yeah. This is it's this week in particular I think is going to be just three back-to-back great night games. Unbelievable. And then we have the Thanksgiving slate. We're there, baby. We're there. We turned the corner quickly. Some other news and notes. I read another book. Henry Winkler's memoir. Oh, the Fonz. The Fonz. I'd say out of a five, if Stamos was a five out of five, Winkler's a four out of five. Okay. Still pretty good. Winkler, a lot of daddy issues. Goes deep into it. It's got some stuff with the dad. I, I didn't know that going in. Winkler. Just a wonderful soul. Talks about his career going and kind of in a rut post-happy days, trying to figure out. He was a producer on MacGyver. Did you know that? Oh, well, I was actually, as you were talking about him, I was trying to think. But obviously, Fonz is like a cultural touch point. And I was like, 
what is the next thing I remember yeah. him in besides Arrested Development? I'll give it to you. Waterboy. He plays the coach. Adam Sandler like saved oh, his career. Wow. Like, Adam Sandler puts him in the Waterboy. He's also in Night Shift, which is interesting, which I loved I um, with is. Michael Keaton in the early 80s. It's Ron Howard's like first major studio film. And Ron Howard, of course, worked with him right. as Richie days. Cunningham. But you know, in the height of Happy Days, he's doing Night Shift, a movie. He's like, you know, before Michael J. Fox was doing Family Ties and Back to the Future and all the other movies that he was in, it was kind of like Winkler, but then he has this long rut and like, it's it's very frustrating for him and his wife is just like super supportive, but also like you are a complete narcissist and then he has to pull himself out of it. Sandler throws him a few bouquets, he does come of that stuff and then you're right, Arrested Development, but then the big one is Barry where 40 years after being nominated for an Emmy for his role as the Fonz, he wins uh, for his role on Barry. And it's like this cool, like, it's a Hollywood life story that this is uh, a nice guy uh, from New York City who, like, you know, was banging around. He went to Yale for a grad degree in acting, like was a real thespian. And they got typecasted as the Fonz and then had to crawl out of that over 30, 40 years and then gets it. Um I think it's a really good book. I think it's great for a for a plane ride. Um, as you know, I'm listening to audiobooks to and from, to and from. Now, our dear friend Paul Rudd and I were talking, name drop. Paul Rudd tells me last night at the Beacon Theater, he was moderating an interview session with Getty Lee, the, the musician from the band Rush. And because of his connection from, uh, I love you, man. I love you, man. Like he's considered like, he's like, he's like, he had to read the book to like front cover to cover. And then he moderated an hour long panel session, which is going to be online of Paul Rudd interviewing Getty Lee at the Beacon Theater, which sounds incredible. I do have a regret from last weekend. I was around, it was New York comedy week. I didn't get to see any comedy, but Bill Burr performed, um, Sam Morrill performed in New York. Uh, Tim Dillon performed. They all were out here in New York. And of course, I wasn't. Um, I wasn't there. All right, my phone's ringing because that's Mark Dalton from the Cardinals. We've got an awesome guest coming right up. Let's get him on as we speak. This is Drew Petzing, who's the offensive coordinator of the Arizona Cardinals. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. It had been 11 months since we had seen Kyler Murray on a football field and there on third and 10 with the game on the line against a good Atlanta Falcons defense. Kyler Murray did Kyler Murray things. And I think uh, a nation uh, had a sigh of relief knowing that not only was Kyler back, but that the Cardinals were on the right track. And his offensive coordinator with this new coaching staff is a guy that I've been hearing about for years. He's one of the bright young offensive minds in the league. And I'm thrilled to have him on the season with Peter Schrager. Mr. Drew Petzing, welcome to the show, my man. Yeah, I appreciate it, Peter. Thanks a lot, man. Dude, I love your story. I, I love everything I've heard about you, but I'll be candid. We don't have this great personal friendship. It goes back 10 years. I've just been hearing about you for a really long time. Um, as we head in towards week 11, your feeling about the, the state of this quarterback position with Kyler now on the field, and you can finally run your offense with Kyler Murray at the switch. Yeah, it's exciting. I think, you know, certainly last, or, you know, what, two days ago last weekend was a big step. You know, first time back on the field for him, the emotions, uh, the reality, the stress, the physical aspect of it. So it was exciting. It was stressful. I thought he handled it really well. Uh, and it was great to see him go out and perform like that because I know he's capable of it. You know, certainly when you go through an injury like that, the process that he had to go to to put himself back on the field, learn a new offense, you know, get to know his teammates while not really playing for the offseason in training camp was really excited for him and for us. And uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, the the rap on Kyler like going into the season was, well, is he going to be around? Is he going to be invested? We don't know how. Everything I've heard to a man, this guy has been unbelievable in the building while rehabbing. What's been your impression of Kyler Murray just a few months into working with him since you got there back in January? Yeah, I think you just hit on it. It was impressive really from the get-go. I mean, to watch the way that he attacked rehab, you know, I tore my ACL uh, my sophomore year of college. I know what that rehab is like. 
certainly not at that level when it's your job, it's your career, it's, a, it's your livelihood. So to just to watch the way he approached every day in the training room, on the field, as he started to get running again, and then at the same time, learning a new system, learning a new language, learning a new way of doing things. And he had to juggle both of those in a very small amount of time. And I thought he just did it with really such conviction, such focus, uh, and such drive. So it was, uh, it was fun to be a part of. Do you see stuff in practice? Uh, I know we saw that play on third and 10, and he played really well on Sunday. But do you see stuff in practice that you're like, all right, I've coached a lot of quarterbacks, but this guy does some that not a lot of do. Absolutely. I, you know, when you get a guy of that talent level, you know, it's a couple times a day. And no matter even the little things where you're just, you just, you, you might, it might be a RVA period or warm ups where you just kind of your head snaps like, what in the <laughs> world was that? Um, because he, he does, he does so many things that very few people can do and does it at such a high level consistently. It's, it's impressive to watch. Yeah. And did you think he would, he would be able to, you know, get the kitchen sink thrown at him in that first week? I didn't know if it was going to be like, here's five plays, here's the Tecmo offense. You got four plays, Kyler. Just don't hurt yourself. It felt like you guys threw the kitchen sink at him and he was able to do it at hundred percent full tilt. We did. We really held nothing back. Honestly, a lot of that was his confidence to me, you know? So like I, I kind of went into it, especially in the off season, we're building it, just saying like, all right, let's see what he can handle. Let's see what, because realistically, you know, you, you look at, and I said this to some people last week, what do offenses look like the first week of preseason when they've had three months to get ready, two weeks of nothing but practice? It's sloppy then when it's 11 yeah. starters that have been together and doing it for months. I mean, this guy basically did it for three weeks, you know, physically. So uh, that was my mindset, but he kind of assured me the entire time. He's like, believe me, when I hit the field, I will be ready. I can handle it. Don't worry about it. And he never swayed from that message. So it gave me the confidence to say, hey, he feels good about it. You watched him do it in practice. He handled it well, you know, during the week. So we really, we really didn't hold a lot back. I thought he handled it really well. Now, before he got there, you had Dobbs, you had Clayton Toon. Like, was he involved in the week-to-week game? And I think a lot of the questions about Kyler is how invested is he with the, you know, Monday to Saturday stuff? Was he there helping them game plan and kind of learning the playbook and getting it down? Absolutely. I mean, he, he in the meeting room, he's asking questions. He's engaging with the other guys in that room. He's, he learned a ton from their reps. Listen to the questions they asked. Watch their process in terms of how Dobbs prepared, how Clayton prepared, you know, things that, you know, especially Clayton as a rookie, he might give him a little piece of advice and say, hey, like, I see why you're seeing it this way. This is how I think about it. And uh, it was fun to see that development, that growth in his game and as, as a teammate. Uh, and I think he helped the guys in that room. And I think he also grew a lot from watching them do it and learn the offense and talk through some of the stuff that we went through. Dude, I watched this Cardinals team and I know you guys only have two wins. It's not like you guys are like the 76 Steelers or the 85 Bears. I get it. But gosh, is there not a team in the league that fights harder and seems to have more fun and goes out there and plays? Like, we know that the talent necessarily isn't, you know, the greatest show on turf or whatever, but your boys are playing. Like, what, what's the vibe there in Arizona that every week, no one has packed it in. If anything, the team is getting better as the season goes on. Yeah, and that's really been our focus since we got here in April with the first day the players showed up. It's our goal is to get better every day, regardless of outcome, regardless of score. Are you individually improving at your job? And coaching, playing, organizationally, are we doing the things to make sure we're moving in the right direction? Win, lose, draw. And I think that's the important thing. Like, we came in on Monday after the win on Sunday. It wasn't any different than the week before after the Cleveland game. It is, hey, we won the game because we did these things well. We could have lost the game because we need to improve in these areas. That's the focus. Continue to play at a high level. Continue to play your ass off from an effort perspective. And we're going to end up where we want to be. And it's going to take time. It, you know, it's, it's not an overnight fix when it's good or bad. And there's always room for improvement. I love your story personally. Um, you're in your mid-30s. You're one of the youngest play callers in the NFL. Gannon's a defensive coach, obviously. You guys come in, but like you played in high school. You were the captain of your team. You go to Middlebury, which I think of historically as a lacrosse school, if I'm being honest. Like that's a big lacrosse school. You're you're there. You're playing defensive back. You're, you get your career cut short by an injury. And now look, you're not at Alabama or Ohio State. You're at Middlebury. And yet you still say, hey, I'm going to pursue a life in football, when you hurt yourself and you couldn't play uh, football anymore in college and you're at Middlebury, a D3 school, how do you keep focused? How do you stay committed and say, no, 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 but my football dream isn't necessarily over here? Yeah, I, I think I had a lot of really good people around me. I relied heavily on Coach Ritter, you know, my father, you know, people that I was close with because the game has been, it has always been so important to me. I love the sport. I love the scheme. I love the relationships you build, just the whole process of what football brings to your life. So when it got taken from me, I missed it. And it really kind of like put me in a funk, like not that I lost a piece of my identity, but I really didn't have a direction, didn't know what I wanted to do. And Coach Ritter, who was the head coach at the time, he just uh, retired last year. 
you know, I said, hey, can I help out? Can I stay around the game? Can I help coach? It's something I might be interested in. And uh, he actually played with my father. So he was like, oh, cool. I, I would love to let you help out. He goes, but if your grades slip at all, your dad is going to murder me. Yeah. He's like, so just- Where did you grow up, Drew? Are you a Massachusetts guy? Yeah, or I Vermont? moved to okay. Mass when I was seven. So I grew up just outside Boston in Wellesley, Massachusetts. Okay. Um, and lived there most of my childhood. And so my first year, I volunteered in the fall, my junior year, didn't play, helped out on defense because I played safety and just like fell in love with it. Like, you know, a D3 school, I think there was seven guys on staff. Yeah. So like as an eighth guy, you got to be very involved. Like I was doing breakdowns. I got to coach. I was helping film practice. I was doing film exchanges and uh, just loved it. And then that summer I did a business program at Dartmouth, the Tuck Business Bridge Program. And it was like an intensive business course to look at finance and, you know, all Tell me you're a Buddy Stevens disciple as well. <laughs> no, Are you? No, I'm not. Okay. No, it was right. strictly from a school perspective, but it was that contrast of like, all right, I could do this and I could go into banking or finance or, you know, or I could coach football. And I'm like, God, that fall of football was a hundred times more enjoyable. And I'm like, and if you can make money doing this, I'm doing this. So it was kind of yeah. just put all the eggs in that basket, try to start to meet people and get connected to people in different areas, learn everything I could from a coaching perspective. And I was very fortunate in my career early to be around some great people that, that grew me, developed me, invested in me and taught me a lot about the business and, and helped me with some great opportunities. So you see a light, you see football, you see joy. Uh, your first gig was in 2009. You were a volunteer student assistant at Harvard. How does that happen? And what was that role? Yeah. So it, it was kind of, so as I said, so volunteer my junior year, I actually had enough credits. I didn't take any classes my senior year and I was going to volunteer and they had an open position. So they ended up paying. I was a senior in college, living off campus, not taking classes coaching football was like the truly the like it was the dream awesome. like it was it was the best and uh and when as school was coming to a close it was like all right I got to start talking to people I got to find my next job I want to stay in football I want to make this work and I just started kind of using the small connections I had and uh, a family friend Ben Bloom who's the D-line coach now with the Browns uh <laughs> was an assistant D-line coach at Harvard uh from Wellesley so from my hometown and I kind of he was one of the guys I reached out to and he goes hey you know funny you called he goes we were talking in a staff meeting this morning. We're looking for an unpaid intern. You're not going to make any money, but it's a great foot in the door. And I kind of feel like Coach, you know, Tim Murphy, who's still at Harvard, would ha let me have a pretty big say on who we bring in. Are you interested? I said, if the job's there, I'll like I'm there tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, so I went down there for the spring game and met those guys. And then literally, I graduated on Sunday. I drove home Monday. I was in a staff meeting Tuesday morning and uh, worked there that first season, unpaid on defense. And it was all. I mean, the amount of football I learned, what I got exposed to, it was uh, it was awesome. It's funny because Middlebury, if the listeners at home don't know, like you go to, I'm in, we're in lower Manhattan. You go to wall street. Every other person is Harvard, Yale, Middlebury, like all these. And you could have had that walk. You could have walked that walk. You're like, no football. You go to BC to be an assistant. Then you end up at Yale. I imagine Middlebury, BC, Yale, Harvard, you're collecting people in your lives that Yes, football, but some of the most interesting people in the world who are doing some crazy big things right now. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. As you said, it's, and then mostly the players, the students. I mean, it was like, I remember talking to some of the guys as they were graduating at Harvard and the opportunities they were just, you know, I was unpaid and they're deciding, well, I have this six figure job with this bonus. I, I'm like, that money doesn't seem real to me. I don't need It's like <laughs> mind blowing to me, the opportunities those guys had, I mean, obviously because of who they are and what they were a part of. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was really great to get exposed to those type of people on so many different areas, so many different levels. 2013, an NFL gig opens up. You're four years into coaching, and it's an intern with the operations side of the Cleveland Browns. How does that come, a bit, come to be? And was that Mike Pettin? Was that Kyle Shanahan? What team was that? So Rob Chudzinski was the head coach. Okay, um, Chud. It, it was his first year. Uh, I had never been in the NFL. I really, I, I still don't exactly know, because like, I didn't know anybody in the building. Uh, I believe Alex Schreiner was the president. He'd just come over from yep. Dallas. And... Chud wanted to hire those that New England position of like the, they called it twenty for twenty. Like you work twenty hours a day yep. for twenty grand the entire year. And uh, but he never the Ravens it. the Ravens do like an actual ceremony about their <laughs> twenty twenty guys. I'm always like guys, all right, sure. But there's like a long tradition of all those Ravens yeah. front office guys. They all walk that walk. Oh uh, yeah. So and, and so they never had done it before. So I think what happened was you know Alec had just come from Dallas where they had done the position. Chud had never done it. So uh, Alec was like, hey, call a couple of these guys. And, and the guys that had done it at Dallas, Ben Bloom, Dave Borgonzi, now with the Bears, yeah. were guys that I worked with at Harvard when I was unpaid. <laughs> and so they called these guys and said, hey, what did you make? What did you do? What was your role? And they kind of answered the question, said, hey, if you're looking for a guy, there's a guy at Yale who would be a great candidate. I'm sure he'd love the opportunity. Give him a call. So I kind of got a call out of the blue 
and I was like, yeah, like, absolutely. They're like, hey, look, it's going to be a big pay cut. Because at Yale, I had my first position job. I was yeah, recruiting my own a real area. job. Uh, I was coaching the outside linebackers. Was recruiting cool. the West Coast. Uh, actually recruited Foye Olakun. Like, he, he came to Yale. Killing it for the Jaguars yeah, right so now. Love watching him play because obviously got close with him through the recruiting process. And uh, I was like, absolutely. Like, NFL, if it's an opportunity, I'd love to take it. Like, don't really care what the role is. Like, let me in the building and I'll figure it out. And went through the process. It was kind of a wild. And I got snowed in out there for like three days during my interview. <laughs> and on the third day, Chud was like, well, at this point, you basically just work your job. And so, yeah, and then kind of the rest was history. And at that point, I'd really only been on defense. Like, I played safety, played linebacker, coached DBs at Middlebury, uh, was a defensive J at Boston College. And so my first week there, Ray Horton was the defense coordinator. I put yeah. his playbook into Vizio from PowerPoint. I was like, I'm on defense. And then Norv just, like, started yelling my name down the hallway for <laughs> random things. Like, he'd want coffee or a cut-up or he'd want to talk about something he saw on social media. And, like, before the OTA started, he's like, no, you're on offense now. And I was like, okay, I'm on offense. Here we go. And I'm working with North Turner, Hall of Fame coach, who, you know, Troy Aikman swears by. Okay. Yeah. And he was, I mean, I can't, I could go on about him for. Oh, I love North too. One of the best, right? Absolute best per, like, person, coach. I mean, I probably owe 95% of my career to that guy. But just like he just took me under his wing, put me on offense, sat in the, they, you know, they let me move around that first offseason. I jumped in the tight end room, the receiver room, the O-line room. And then when the season started, I was in the quarterback room with, Norvin Shane Steichen, who was a quality control coach at the time. Oh, cool. and yeah, it, I mean, it was wild. It was a quick transition, but those guys really, they grew me as a coach. I mean, I'd never been on offense. I never called a play in a formation. Like, it was all new to me, and they gave me the opportunity to learn it and be a part of it, and I'm obviously very thankful for that. All right, you're in your 20s. I assume at this time you're single. You've got just like, take me wherever I got to go to do this this job. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings call, and you're there for an extended amount of time. Who brought you to Minnesota? Was it Norv or it was, was Norv, it? Yeah, so, okay, yeah. yeah. And I can't say I was single because my wife would get really mad at me if she oh, sorry. that. No, you're good. We were, no, you're fine. It was like, that's part of the hilarious. Like we were long distance. And so like yeah. I was moving and she's like, what in the world are you doing? And what, what do am you I do? Into? Yeah. Like when I got snowed in in Cleveland, she was coming to visit me. She stayed in the, 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 I don't know if you remember that massive storm we got in 2012 or 2013. Like they had tanks through the streets of New Haven because you couldn't get anywhere. Yeah. She got stuck in my apartment. I never saw her. She, I got back before she had to go back. I mean, it was, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, Great. Turner was the one. Love you, honey. Yeah. <laughs> so we were, when we got let go in Cleveland, uh, nor I just stuck around. I'm like, until someone literally kicks me out of the building. I'm, <laughs> I'm on pay. Yeah, I'm like, like, they're the paying me. Guy here. I'm showing up. I'm like, I'll be operations. I'll be scouting. I'll be coaching. Like, whatever it takes. Not to interrupt, but that's what Salah said. He was with Houston. And I guess Kubiak got fired. Or Dom Capers got fired. And Salah was like, no one told me I didn't have a job. So I just showed up the next day. And like, Kubiak's like, who are you? Okay, you're on the staff. Like, it works that way at the lowest level. Oh, absolutely. And, I, you know, so I was picking guys up from the airport. I was grabbing dinners. Like I delivered dinner to Mike Pettin one night because he had just got, you know, after a couple of weeks he got hired. I think he, he thought was the I was coach. The, he thought I was the delivery guy. I'm like, <laughs> nope, I'm uh, down the hall. I'm just in operations. If you need anybody, I'll be there. I can do whatever you need. And uh, Norv got the job in Minnesota and, and ended up having an opportunity. It was, you know, it was, again, it would be a, a longer story than we probably have time for, but almost ended up in Dallas. Ben Bloom was down in Dallas and they had a similar role. But Norv had kind of told me, hey, whatever you do, you don't take a job without calling me. Huh. Yeah, obviously I'm going to do right by you. So when Dallas called, I was on the phone with Jason Garrett and he said, hey, we want to fly out for an interview for this intern position. Ben talked really highly of you. I think it'd be a great fit. And I was like, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't have a job. So like, I'm there. I'll be on the plane tomorrow. <laughs> and I said, Jason, I, I just, nor, you know, really, you know, made me promise him I wouldn't take a job without calling him. Like, are you okay if I call Nor? Uh, which, you know, I was taking a little bit of a leap of faith there, but Jason played for Nor and loved Nor. And so Jason was like, absolutely give Nor a call. You got to do right by him. Like, let me know what he says. So in like a 30-minute process, I was on the phone with Jason, called Norv, and Norv was like, nope, you're coming to Minnesota. Rick Spielman, the GM, is going to call you in 10 minutes. You got a job. We'll get you out here this week. And I was oh like, my God. I went from like unemployment to like two opportunities in 20 minutes and then had to call Jason back. I was like, hey, Jason, I, I, Sorry, I really bro. appreciate yeah. it. I'm going to Minnesota with Norv. Like, I didn't really think it was going to happen like that. This is my first time through the process. And Jason was awesome, very understanding, but it was, uh, it was a whirlwind. So yeah, one year and then ended up in Minnesota there in 2014. And you're there for a bit. Is is Zim the coach when you're there? And yeah, he's so the head it was, coach? It was Zim's first year in 2014, uh, Norris' first year. And then, you know, I've told the story. I got picked up at the airport to go sign my contract and meet everybody. And, and the guy that I got picked up, you know, an ops guy picked us up, was me, Jonathan Gannon, and Evan Marcus. All got picked <laughs> up in the car together. I didn't know any of those guys at the time and worked together with them for four years and stayed there in Minnesota for six. 
who the wideouts you're working with? Because I look at your your that position group has got a legendary history. Yet there might have been some lulls as far as big. It was it was post Moss, post Carter, pre Jefferson. So Thielen, Jarris Wright. Who are we dealing with here? So when I first got there, so I was in the running back room my first year with Kirby Wilson. Okay. We had Adrian Peterson. We drafted Jarek McKinnon. Uh, we had Jerome Felton playing fullback. And then the second year I moved into the wideout room, Jarius was still there. Greg Jennings, I believe, left the second year. Cordell Patterson, Charles Johnson. We drafted Diggs, and Thielen was still on the practice squad at that time. Wow. Um, and then I stayed in that, you know, and then my three years in that room as an assistant, Thielen became Thielen. Obviously, Diggs became Diggs, and all of a sudden you had, you know, one of the best receiver rooms in the NFL again, uh, just by nature of those two players. Give me a good dig story that would sum up young Stephon Diggs because he's a fifth-round pick. He's not a guy in a first-round caliber as some of these other guys, and yet since he got on the field, he's been making plays. And, and I think that it, his work ethic and his love of the game of football and his just desire to be great was unbelievable. Like, I can remember, and it was one of those, I can't remember, it was after practice. Like, we were not in the building or, like, as players. Like, we weren't on the field, and you walk in the indoor, and the dude has, a like, full lather, looks like he's been running 150 routes, and to the point where it like almost happened so consistently, we had to stop. We we're like, dude, you're going to hurt yourself. Like you're overworking. Like you, you need to slow down. And he was just one of those guys, like every time, as you said, every time he touched the field, it was kind of those head turning moments where you're like, who was like, who was the run that route? Like he just killed the top corner and scout team. Like he made an unbelievable <laughs> catch. And it was like over and over and over again to the point where like, we got to put this guy on the field. Like, because he was inactive for his first four or five games. I remember. And then somebody got hurt and he hit the field. I think his first game was in Denver the year they had the year they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. It would have been the year they won the Super Bowl. With yeah, all, you know, 20, the, uh, 2016, 2015. 2015 yeah. with Tlaib and Chris Harris. And they had another really good corner. And Kareem Jackson, maybe? Maybe. And him and Thielen like, went off. Like I think Diggs had 100 yards at Denver. And it was like, all right, he's not giving this job back. Like He's the guy. Like It's very clear. That Minnesota miracle, where were you? Were you I was up the in the field? box. So you I open was, the box. I was, take, us, take us through it. It was wild. I mean, I, you know, it's you never say the game's over, but it, it felt close. And, uh, you know, the ball goes up, and you're like, all right. I, you know, it, it, when he caught it and he ran in the end zone, the place went nuts. But in the booth, you're always like, is a flag down? He didn't That's all you're out at. how much time is left. So, like, I don't think we – like, nobody moved for a good, like, 30 seconds to a minute as we kind of processed what happened. And then once everything was like, it was, I mean, it went, it was like complete pandemonium chaos. Like I was down on the field by the time we took the knee on the two point play, I think. <laughs> well, they brought everyone back. Yes. Uh, I remember Thomas Morrison had to come back, you know? Uh, yeah. Like I still get the chills when I see highlights of that play or think about like, it's just, it was such a cool moment to be a part of. And I mean, obviously an unbelievable play on so many levels. I imagine you go with Stefanski because I see your next job and the resume is you go to Cleveland for a couple of years. Stefanski gets the head gig in Cleveland. And does he call you up and say, Drew, I need you, buddy? Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I worked with Kevin for nine years. So we were together six in Minnesota and three in Cleveland, developed a great relationship with him. He was one of those guys who brought me under his wing. You know, he had a young coach, got his first position job there in Minnesota when I got there and, and just taught me so much about the game, how to coach, how to develop relationships with players, the big picture of, of the NFL and so when he got that opportunity and, and, and Zim was willing to let me have that opportunity to go with him, uh, it was special. You know, I have a ton of respect for him and obviously owe so much to him. So it was it was fun to be a part of his first time doing it, running the show, being in charge. Um, it was awesome. All right. Now take us, you go to Arizona with Gannon. Obviously you had a history with him. Take us to the Josh Dobbs roller coaster before the season. I know you're obviously intimately involved because of the Cleveland thing, and um, we'll wrap shortly, but I, I got to hear how Dobbs ends up in Arizona, and you had to play some sort of role because he was in Cleveland with you too. Yeah, I mean, I certainly had a relationship with him. Monty, our GM, had him the last couple games there in Tennessee, and I think it's one of those things that as an organization, we're always going to try to make the team better in any little thing we can do from a roster perspective in terms of the way we operate. So it was one like my job, and I said this to everybody, it was like, hey, everybody in that room, my job is to get you ready to start in the NFL. And I think Monty came to me somewhere during the, you know, the end of training camp and said, hey, I think this is an opportunity that may be available to us. What are your thoughts on it? How do you feel about the person, the player? How long will it take to get him ready if this is the move? And I just kind of broke it down. I said, look, the language is going to be eerily similar. He's an extremely smart player. Uh, so I don't think there's going to be a, like a long runway. Certainly here, the the pros, what he brings to the team here is obviously some of the issues of bringing him in 10 days before the season. But if that's the decision that, that we choose an organization to think this gives us the best chance, I know we can make it work. And uh, Monty did a great job and has done a great job since I've been here of always trying to improve the roster and always trying to make us competitive. So it's uh, it was one of those things. And he thought it was best for the team. I certainly was on board with it. JG, obviously a big part of that. And uh, he got in here and hit the ground running very quickly. And, and kudos to him because that's not an easy task. 
I mean, that was unbelievable in itself. And then he has a second chapter already with Minnesota. Have you reached out to him at all and just said, hey, bro, like I'm watching? Like, because oh, I know they're rivals, but it's been unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. So we, like, when we, you know, obviously last week when we lost to Cleveland, it was the, his first game playing. Checked the stat line, texted him right away. It was so fired <laughs> up for him. And it, it's so, like, I love watching him play. Love the energy he brings. He's obviously done a great job for them. And I think, it, you know, it really worked out for everybody. I think that's the, when, when you can have a win-win like that, it's, it's always a good situation. All right, and now back to the Cardinals, wrapping it up with this. Kyler, Connor's back on the field. We've got all these young wide receivers, Rondale, and of course, Marquise. And then uh, I'm loving what I'm seeing this kid, Michael Wilson. And then Trey McBride, the tight end, who took a little while in his career to get going, is now a real factor. So much young talent. And then you have the number six overall pick in Johnson playing well on offensive line. Like, so yeah, if you're a viewer at home and you don't watch a lot of Arizona Cardinals football, what would be your message to them and what they can expect for the second half of the season? Yeah, I think it's what you hit on early and as we were talking. It's the effort and energy we play with. I think that's got to be our calling card is we have to outwork people. We have to out-effort people. We have to play with an energy and an enthusiasm that people aren't either capable or willing to match consistently, regardless of score, regardless of outcome. So I think that's what we want to have the guys have fun playing football and going out there and enjoying what they're doing and doing it at a high level. And I think you're seeing that from the young guys in the locker room, really from everybody. I think the teams really embrace that attitude, that energy, and it's fun to be a part of. And, and it keeps you competitive. It keeps you in games. And we got to do a little bit more and a little bit better to win some of these games and to turn the tide. But I think everybody feels like it's really close. And I think that's where the buy-in and the energy and the effort comes from. And we just got to keep it going. And Kyler, he's, been, he's exceeded expectations from what it sounds like. Yeah, he's been awesome. I, I can't say enough about him as a player, as a person, as a teammate. Uh, he's been extremely fun to work with. I was so fired up for him and so proud of him just to watch him go out there and do what I know he's capable of. And, and certainly he knows he's capable of, but it's always fun when you get to put it on that stage. Did you see the sky cam angle yet that they yeah, did? Everything about, I mean, obviously that play was all coaching, right? Was Great insane. scheme. Everybody that was watched. very jo- good job by you. <laughs> you told him to do a pirouette and run. I mean, just, that's speed. what he's, I mean, he's so like, it was, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's a game saving play. I mean, it's third and 10 to go make that play in that situation. Very few people were capable of doing that. So it was, it was just so fired up for him, for us, obviously. And it was it was fun to watch him go do that. I end every interview with the same question. And it was Nick Casario was on last week. And I said, if you were at the Combine and a 20-something-year-old guy comes up and he's got an ill-fitting suit and he's got the manila folder with like a resume, but it's just like college accolades and says, uh, I want to get in the NFL and you have one elevator ride, 20 seconds. Um Let's put yourself in that Indianapolis situation. You got all the team gear on. You got the Cardinals stuff. And uh, you just happen to be in with a kid and he kind of has the courage to ask, hey, Drew, I know you're in your mid-30s and I'm in my early 20s, but like, what would be your one piece of advice for getting in the league? I'd say be willing to, to do whatever it takes. Be willing to take any opportunity, no matter how small, no matter what building it in, no matter what the role is, and do a really good job at it. And it doesn't matter what that role is. Embrace it. Be the best at it and develop great relationships as you go in that role. You, you know, the way that you connect with people, the way that you interact with any building that you get into, regardless of what they're asking you to do, I think is so important to your overall goal of getting into the NFL and continuing to make it. True. Uh, this is awesome. Drew Petzing, offensive coordinator of the Arizona Cardinals. Fun, young offense. Mid-season, I understand there's a million things you've got to be doing. You've got to be in the lab cooking and getting Kyler going, but I so appreciate you taking 20 minutes to, to hop on the podcast. It's a real pleasure for our side. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. I was really juiced to be on. Awesome stuff. Drew Petzing, offensive coordinator of the Cardinals. Good luck this weekend, man. Thanks a lot. You go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it irish spring body wash and bar soap fresh green irish shop now at a store near you I didn't know how he would take it. Drew Petzing's 34, Aaron. 36, isn't he? 36? I think he's 36. I know he's younger than me. He's in his 30s, like super young. 36, yeah. Um, Very impressive. I I always love when like a coach or a coordinator comes from one side of the ball and then moves to the other. True. Other than... um, Matt Patricia, but other than that, I that's love- late in life. I mean, <laughs> I remember what back in the day the Eagles were rolling, and they had a guy named Juan Castillo who was their offensive line coach. It's like peak Andy Reid, like dream team Eagles, and then they moved him to defensive coordinator, and like it just sometimes doesn't work. 
Drew was early enough in his career where he went from defense to offense. You think about those mentors, North Turner. Yep. And then like Stefanski, I look at as a peer because Stefanski's my age. He's early 40s. And I'm like, he's like, I really looked up to Stefanski. And it's like, there's young guns coming. And 36 years old, I know McVay's 36 as well. And you've got guys who are in their 30s all across the league. But uh, Drew's one of them. And I kind of like the fact he didn't, he didn't necessarily play at Ohio State. He didn't play at Penn State. He was uh, hurt his sophomore year at Middlebury and was like, screw it. I'm not giving this dream up. Um, Drew Petzing, that was cool. I, you know, I don't know if the Arizona Cardinals are the top of the, the conversation right now, but I thought what they did on Sunday was awesome, beating the Falcons and seeing Kyler back. So I thought that was really cool. And thank you for Drew for doing it and for the Cardinals organization. Real quick, way off topic, and you could turn it off if you don't like the off topic stuff. I won't be insulted. Um, Travis Kelsey was in Argentina this weekend. He was in Germany the weekend before that. He was on his bye. Um, makes out with Taylor Swift on camera, which was romantic and hot and steamy. Um, <laughs> she changed the lyrics to one of, of her songs, Karma, yeah. to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs tight end. We're recording this on Tuesday. He's back in Kansas City. He's back at practice. And we just posed the question to Scott Pioli, the ex-Kansas City Chiefs GM, um, what his thoughts were about a player going to Argentina, you know. And he answered it like, I wouldn't think twice about it. It's Kelsey. He's 34. Like, Scott's answer was right. He's earned it. Like, whatever. The fact that we asked it on Good Morning Football we're getting hundreds of tweets from Chiefs fans, like super triggered, like how dare you question it? Like it's his off week. Is that I think it's this story has been kind of a roller coaster. And now it's like Chiefs fans are super defensive about it, even questioning it. And I think people are looking at Kelsey and I know Bill Simmons is questioning, like, all right, like even I on Monday's show was like, All right, say it I went to Mexico for a for a Mai Tai is one thing. Gosh, he was at Mahomes' charity event on Thursday. He was in Argentina this week. Like, it is something to track. I have no opinion on it. I love Travis, as I've mentioned multiple times here. We have a great relationship, and he's truly in love right now, and it's cool. And it hasn't stopped them. They're the first-place team. I'm wondering when this thing turns, and I see the Chiefs' schedule gets complicated coming up. Aaron, your thoughts? And you might attract... The venom of the Taylor Swift hive. So I would be careful with what you say because it's not just the Taylor Swift hive. Correct. Now. It's, it's the Chiefs. The Chiefs too. hive is yes. even more vocal. Like f off. Don't even question this love. And to just to be clear, too, you were saying he's in Germany the week before. He's in Germany for the game. He wasn't traveling. It's not Fair. like he was there Fair. to see her concert and then went to Argentina. So he was there for the game, and then they have the bye week. Um, yes. Again, Travis Kelsey is 34. He is not a first-year quarterback whose team is struggling. Um, I actually have no problem with him going to Argentina to watch the concert. I thought the video of him standing there, I think it's with her dad. when Scott Swift. When, when the lyric is changed and it's like, it doesn't register for him right away. And his dad, oh my, I can't believe I'm sitting here talking about yeah, Taylor Swift concert. Uh, and his dad is like so excited for him and like grabbing Travis. So I love that. That was nice. And, you know, we we hear all these stories about like, oh, Taylor was at the, the Chiefs game and she had to get snuck out in the popcorn, popcorn. machine. It's all part of the instead, movie, dude. Instead, this was her running off stage. He's standing right there and she embraces him. You know what? Call me a sucker. And this is like uh, the When Harry Met Sally moment. But yeah. I'm all for it. Great. Good for him. I think it's great. It was beautiful. I'm not kidding. Like, I loved it. I thought it was beautiful and sweet and Everything was great about it. Um, I hope they don't lose three straight and Kelsey starts yeah. like dropping passes, man. <laughs> um, it's going well for now. Uh, dude, I love it. One more thing. Uh, I got a call early this morning from my friend Chris who listens to the podcast and says he does a four-mile walk every morning from like five Ooh. to seven, walks around Manhattan. I think he's like in Central Park and he, that's where he clears his head. And Aaron, he was ecstatic to share with me how much he enjoys, not me, not the music that we do, not the topics, not the guests. He's like, I love your co-host. <laughs> 
He's like, he's great. He's got a great demeanor. He's got a great approach. I'm like, he uses words like dour. Yeah. I'm like, hell yeah. Aaron's the man. And he's like from like the, the, the non shrinker part of Brooklyn where I don't even know where you live. And I love that about you. You come in with a completely different viewpoint, a completely different style. You're of a different generation. And gosh, you and I, we're making magic right here, dude. Man, well, I appreciate it. And, and thank you to him too. And I mean, I, uh, that that just makes me jealous that I didn't go for a nice long walk this morning. Doesn't too. it sound great? Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get to our ad sponsor, our dear friends over at Uber Eats. What we do every week, we read the the sponsor and I fill in my answer. And what it is, basically an award. If you're a first-time listener and you're from the Arizona Cardinals Beehive or whatever they call it there, I don't even know. There's Card- not the Cardinals Cardinal Nest. Hive, Cardinal Nest, the, the I was like in their stadium, it's like see red. Like they just like do like yeah. lots of red puns. Um it's time for delivering results presented by Uber Eats. Today's delivering results winner, you like this one here, is Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, looking like the Russell Wilson of old in prime time, spinning around, doing shovel passes, throwing the touchdown pass to Cortland Sutton, and then finding his way up the field to get the Broncos into field goal range, which originally they missed. But there was a flag, and then Will Lutz did knock it through. The The Denver Broncos have won three straight games. Russell Wilson, who was being talked about as being on the hot seat and that Jared Stidham was going to come in when they were one and five, is firmly entrenched as their quarterback. He's playing well. And last night, just even if it was one night in primetime, it was cool to see Russell Wilson play like Russell Wilson. And that, my friends, was delivering results presented by Uber Eats, where you can get almost almost anything. They are the official on-demand delivery partner of the NFL order now. And that's the podcast. Uh, We start off with some celebration over the Texans and the Broncos, a little news with Ken Dorsey getting fired, a little Ravens lamenting. And then we walk that path and we hear from Drew Petzing, who got the most out of Kyler Murray that we've seen in 12 months because Kyler's been recovering from that ACL. I've been asked by a lot of listeners over Twitter and over email uh, whether we are going to be at the Super Bowl. We do not know yet. We don't have a, a, a word on that. We hope to be. If not, we will still do shows throughout the playoffs. Um, let's just say here, the season with Peter Schrager with a shirtless Aaron Wong Kaufman running around the Vegas Strip, then going and performing karaoke, singing some song none of us have heard from a show tune from like Oklahoma is going to be epic if we can get there. And then doing only Taylor Swift songs, replacing lyrics with Travis Kelsey. References. Exactly right. That's what, yeah. Exactly right. And then you and I will go to like a club. We'll go to like Delilah and it'll be like the hot spot. And I'm going to get paparazzi to take photos of us walking amidst all the NFL celebrities and elites. And maybe Scott Swift will like wear a chief's lanyard and like kind of put his arm around the two of us. Scott Swift content. When we're talking about Taylor Swift's dad, you know, I'm here for it. Um, On behalf of Aaron, on behalf of Jason English, the man from iHeart, who is awesome. And on uh, behalf of all the different folks who work on this, show. Thank you for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with another one. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.